This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving animal. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. And sadly, it's time for the Matildas World Cup postmortem. We didn't want it to end this way, but it has. But no matter what way you look at the performance of the national side, this team was universally praised as our best ever, with potentially our greatest ever player, with hope not only of making the late stages of the finals, but winning the whole thing. To leave France before the tournament even reached its halfway stage with the worst results since 2003 can only be marked as a failed campaign, and we intend to break that down in every detail as we go throughout the show tonight. But first edition with Willem van Dender and shortly, then we'll get into the analysis with Matilda icon Joey Peters. Her assessments, always passionate. Former Socceroo and SBS pundit Craig Foster, always astute. Then Willem Dean, our friend Derek Dyson, who's in, our, uh, our mate from WTFN, former ITN journal himself, will go through the rest of the knockout stages, if we've got any time left. Um, in the second hour, as we always do with Willem, we'll kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos Central and Pararoos Central, of course, because um, they're heading off for the um, tournament in Spain, the World Cup over there. And we'll look at some of the local politics ahead of the independent review, hopefully the independent review, if it uh, does end up happening. Uh, Football Coaches Association boss Phil Moss will talk to us about uh, what he thinks the FFA will do and uh, how they will uh, involve and uh, create the, the panel that looks into the Stagic uh, disaster, as it turned out to be. Uh, Derek will return to look at the EPL season only five weeks ago and away and the inevitable transfer merry-go-round and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time from France with Edge. Dino, we, we had so much hope last week, we did. didn't we? We did, and you know I was pretty confident the girls could uh, could go that next uh, next step, mm, but mm. It obviously wasn't to be. Um, mm. And look, it's it's always hard, you know. I, I don't forget I've grown up and watched England in many many mm. major tournaments over the years, and we've always thought, yeah, this is it, we can get this. And there's always something that delays it. And I think I don't know. I, I don't. I know from our, my point of view in England, I always mm. thought it was mentally mm. we weren't as mm. strong as the other nations. Mm. That's when it came to the real big clinches. Mm. I actually thought Australia would be good at that. You know, mm. I thought they'd mm. be mature enough together, but it just didn't seem to work. And whether it's all of the or the noise and what happened and how all this whole thing, there was there was a lot of distraction. Mm. And mm. you can't blame that. And it's, you know, like I said, well, that's the reason, but that didn't help. I think you can blame it. Um, Derek, um, you uh, uh, sympathise with Dino's comments being uh, a man born and bred... Uh, in England with great hope it's the comes coming home and it never does yeah it's the hope that always kills you um, mm. I think it's a good thing that you do have hope here in Australia I mean the team is definitely headed in the right direction obviously they've had a tough tournament but look they've come up against some extremely strong European teams I think that Norway team is you know that could that's pretty much one of the hardest draws Australia with that Ada Hedeberg Without, even without her, but look at some of those other players like Hansen, for example, mm. just sensational. So they've got to have a look a look at where they can improve. But, you know, I'm maybe not as caught up as some of you guys are. You know, at the end of the day, you, you go out of tournaments. And it's just mm. unfortunate for Australia. It happened a bit too early. Well, Willem, you've got it all for us, mate. Yeah, g'day, gents. Some huge news to kick us off. The FFA has held talks with the Indonesian Football Association over a joint bid to host the 2034 World Cup. 
The talks mm. followed initial contact at last week's ASEAN Football Federation Council meeting. Now, it's believed Indonesia had initially planned to partner with Thailand, but when that fell through, they looked to Australia. Boys, obviously only very preliminary, but what are our initial thoughts? Good that we're in the conversation. It seems a, a long way apart. Uh, um, you know, the, the FIFA does have a track record oh, with, uh, with uh, South Korea and Japan um, partnering. So, hey, you know, we've got to build closer relationships with our our, uh, our nearest neighbour. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, it could be, could be positive. What year is it? 2034. I just wanted to know if I was still alive for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Football coaches Australia want to have a say in who drives the investigation into Alan Stadich's dismissal as Matilda's boss. The FFA have already announced a review into Stadich's sacking and FCA boss Phil Moss believes his organisation should be front and centre when the review is undertaken and we'll have Phil Moss uh, Phil on later on in the program to discuss that further. What do you think about that, Willem? I think they should be involved. Whether they should drive it is another matter. Um, I think if they're going to be a body with any sort of claret, they should be involved in the investigation. Eric Mombarts has been announced as Melbourne City's new manager, with the Frenchman signing a three-year deal at Amy Park. Mombarts has managed extensively within the City Football Group, as well as Ligue 1 sides PSG, Toulouse and Guingamp. He's acknowledged as a progressive and expansive manager, which will be of importance to City fans. Dana? Yeah, look, I don't know an awful lot about him. I know he's uh, definitely managed, I think, at lower levels of some international levels um you know in, with regards to youth so again that's where uh, the previous uh, coach came from the same similar background Robbie Fowler has wasted no time in constructing his Brisbane Raw squad no fewer than eight signings have walked in the door within the past week so we'll run through them Aaron Amadi Holloway Macaulay Gillespie and Tom Aldred have come from the UK and we've got known A-League quantities in Roy O'Donovan Jake McGing George Mells Aidan O'Neill and Brad Inman None of these jump off the page, but as we know with the A-League, it's good to get them in early so they can have a full pre-season. Well, I'm really hoping Robbie Fowler can do some good things here. He's an absolute legend of the game internationally. Um, He's um, in the early stages of his management career, and uh, it'd just be fantastic if a guy like him could cut his teeth in management uh, in the A-League and and then go on to something fantastic in his career in future. Um, What do you think from having watched him uh, at pretty close range, uh, Derek? do Do you think he's got it? Oh, look, I think it's probably a bit too early to tell in terms of his managerial or coaching credentials, but he's certainly vastly experienced and he's played at the top level of football, so he knows exactly what's required. He's also, um, I think, got a human touch as well. I've never had a sense from Robbie Fowler that he's anything but quite humble, um, and I think the players will respond to him. Mm. Um, so, And I think they'll be very excited to work for, for him. You know, he is one of the iconic Premier League players. He knew how to score a goal. I remember he scored a... Five-minute hat-trick against Arsenal back in the in the days, but uh, you know, good luck to him. And just finally, guys, the FFA Cup round of 32 draw is locked in. Holders Adelaide United will defend their cup at defence. They will start their cup defence against Melbourne Knights. Robbie Fowler will debut as raw coach against Sydney FC, so a tough fixture there. And the team with the best name in Australia, Mackay and Whitsunday's Magpies Crusaders United, <laughs> will face Kumera Colts in what will be an FFA Cup debut for both clubs. Good stuff, mate. We'll save some for the next hour. And we know you've got to stack more. Uh, what we have got to stack more of is Matilda's analysis with Joey Peters, then Craig Foster. Then we will go through uh, the rest of the groups uh, who are still surviving in the World Cup. So stick around. It's a bumper show of Box to Box, a World Cup Matilda's post-mortem bumper show on NTS News Talk Sport. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. And the last time we talked to Joey Peters, we had so much hope, didn't we? Um, and uh, we were hoping that we'd be talking to her uh, the next time um, on the verge of uh, something great. But uh, our uh, 110 cap Matilda sadly joins us again um, after what unfortunately can only be measured as a, a failed World Cup campaign. Welcome back to the show, Joey. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it is. Look, it's disappointing, but you know what? Um, you know, and as much as we need to grieve about what's happened, I don't know about you, but I'm already thinking about, you know, what can we do uh, to, to be better and to keep up with the rest of the world, particularly Europe, who are already showing their dominance in the women's game. Yeah, absolutely. That That's critical, and we want to talk about that um, at length throughout the show. Um, though, in terms of um, the performance on the pitch, so we, we had... Uh, uh, four games, um, the unexpected loss against Italy, where we're watching the form. We won't really be able to judge the the, the um, measure of that loss until the end of the tournament because Italy might do something special and then we might look back on that game um, with slightly different uh, eyes. Of course, there was the um, the miracle of Montpellier, which we'll never forget, uh, the, the great comeback against Brazil, um, the convincing win against Jamaica that gave us so much hope, those two victories but um but just then the way things fell apart against um Norway um they they really uh, personally I thought um they were clearly the better side um on the night Joey yeah Norway for sure and I don't think it was uh, much of a case of the Matildas falling apart but that that it really did show and as you see you need to take the context of the whole tournament into consideration not just the one-off games because yeah like you said you could take um each game and you could say well, we weren't at our best, um, but the game, the girls played the game and it was there to be won. Um, same as the Norway game. There wasn't that much in, the, in relation to the result. But what we do need to take over the, the, um, the tournament and also this is when we've got to start looking at a bigger, bigger view of what the Matildas have been doing because this team did really deserve to go deep into a tournament if they were at their best. They really did. And that's probably the sad part of them that we need to actually look beyond, OK, uh, the last few games that we had before the World Cup. We need to look at the previous year, even barely qualifying for the World Cup in the first place. Why weren't these Matildas able to play their best? But what we did see against Norway was actually a tactically superior opponent. And we, we pride ourselves on our playing style. But I think the playing style we've seen over the last probably year or couple with the Matildas is the like-for-like coach, basically, in philosophy and playing style. So what we've seen is that the, the Matildas actually haven't been able to play their best. But what is their best? Well, being able to be flexible and adapt to each team they play. So with Norway, Norway actually outplayed us because um, I don't know if you guys realise how they were playing. A normal 4-4-2 in defence. Um, and... Yeah, just you could really see the lines there. But when they went into attack, they were bombing on their fullbacks. Mm. So it meant that Caitlin Ford and Hayley Rasso had to drop with their fullbacks, and they were, and so we had no support for Sam Kerr forward. So it's these types of tactical strategies that this is the next level we've got to go to and make sure our players can work it out on the field. Joey Dean here, how are you? Good, Dean. What's going on? Well, I was going to ask you. Um... If you look at, like, obviously the tournament's now come to an end, but do you think if we look back, and I, and I don't want to bring it back to when the change of management and that, but if you look at the the power of Europe at the moment in the sense of what, what's got, got into the quarterfinals, you, you made a point earlier there of what do we need to do next, you know? So have you got any ideas of what we should be doing as a nation 
because they are a good side and they've had a lot of interruption. They've had a lot of distraction that, you know, wasn't warranted. Um, you know, not especially in, in coming into a major tournament. Uh, so I feel for the girls for that because that you know that has does have an effect. But what do you think we should be doing? I might need to write a book or a blog because <laughs> there are there are solutions, guys. Of course, there are. There are plenty are. of them. Um, and you know, you, we talk about okay, let's start with player welfare. Yeah. So we need to make sure we have a four-year cycle. So because the, the first year after the um, Olympics last time, the girls are literally then kick-starting into their professional club career. And that's usually when you have a down year for the national team. Well, it didn't happen. That was when we went over, won the Tournament of Nations, we really pushed hard that year, went up the rankings. But then if we look in terms of physicality, which again, on looking after players, which is going to be the next thing we need to do because professional football in women's football is very, very demanding. And we've seen that the toll that injuries can take on a national team. So we need to make sure that they are peaking at the right time. Mm. So already now, as we move forward to Olympic qualifiers, which are going to end up being in March, we've got to make sure that our players now, they need to rest. They don't need to go back to, over to their professional clubs, although they probably will. But in terms of national team management and that, they need to be able to make sure that we have our players fit and, and, and ready. That's, that's the start of it. But one more thing that's interesting in terms of Europe, what they do uh, is... Oh, well, there's two things, really. They've got their National League is their home and their hub for breeding and, and nurturing their players. So if we had a, a, a W League alongside the A League, it's doable. It doesn't have to be any longer than that. Have it alongside the A League. That's where our players and our coaches can spend year, you know, a year's season really being able to put in some good development, not just a 10-week National League that comes and goes before you know it. So we can fix the domestic competition. And the last thing we can do is move our coaches into management. That's what I'm actually really impressed with Phil Neville at this World Cup. If you, if you listen to him, you listen to Gareth um, Southgate even. And I'm taking England as the example because they hire managers, not coaches. We've still got coaches here that are trying to enforce how they want to play on our team when really they should be managing the players, get the best out of them individually, and how together they can work together as a team. So there you go, guys. We always expected a thorough analysis from you, Joanne, so thank you for giving it to us. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're breaking down the uh, Matilda's um, World Cup post-mortem. Did you just call me Joanne? I did, yes. Did your mother call yes. you that? Yes, only people when I'm talking very cleverly. <laughs> well, that's why I called you that. Or you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I'm very clever right now. Yeah. Well, 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 hey, Joey, I thought you were anyway. <laughs> well, it makes sense, doesn't it, guys? I mean, what do you think? Of it? Then we need to have tangible, actionable points now. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it just the, you're talking too much common sense for football in this country, though. That's the problem, Joey. We we seem to just sort of get in our own way, and uh, you know we're our own worst enemies. Uh, you know, we've got enough um, enemies outside of football, and um, then we're all sort of attacking each other inside of it. it uh, you know, it'd be nice for everyone to be on the same page for once in a while. Yeah, and, and I think this is a really important time as we review the World Cup. We're not really good at reviewing. We didn't review the World Cup qualifiers and, and we should have had reviews then mm. in terms of what the environment was like. Why was it waited to the last moment? Then we've had the leadership spill, if you like. Yeah. And then we've had, and now they're having to still clean it up. And I think it's important to clean it up because we need, we need good leadership. 
We need leadership that's going to actually make decisions because they're the right decisions, not what they think people want them to to do. You know, we re- and this is why the review for this coaching thing that happened needs to happen, so that hopefully we can get an honest reflection of what actually happened on there. Did FFA actually make a good decision? Because um, they, they haven't actually told us that decision. Because I'm keep asking, was it a, was it a Whatever it was, I kind of understood it because the Matildas were breaking down. Something's not right there. So let's find out what it is. And is it something like, and again, it comes back to our coaching. We have a one-man band mentality here in Australia, and it's in, well, it's all over the world as well in coaching. But it's, you know, the, the one person makes all the decisions. When really, it's the players that are making the decisions on the paddock. That's what we need to be focused on. So how we're actually making decisions in this country is a real real worry. And we need to do it with more accountability. And we also need to do it with more collaboration. So that one person's not making the decision, that everyone is contributing. Because we've got some great ideas here in Australia. And I think that we can really do something if we come together. Joey, you said in your Guardian article recently that it's a fitting end for those to end in a penalty shootout. We know that these are very, you know, lottery times and they're very tense. But do you think that shootout sort of summed it all up, really? Um, the Norwegians had the big game mentality and the Australian players sort of lacked a little bit of composure with a few of the penalties and, 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 and didn't sort of sort of look like, you know, or confident that we're going to do it. I think that's a great... It ended up being a great analogy, didn't it, of the tournament. And again, you can't take too much from all these results. I mean, that that that, could, that game could have literally gone our way if the VAR, if the, if the referee stuck to her decision, which mm. is what's to happen. But that's football, isn't it? There's just such... Um, small differences now in the game, which is fantastic. So you can't always just say, oh, we lost that game, so everything's a mess. We should be constantly wanting to learn all the time. And I think, you know, that, that penalty shootout, though, it did tell the story of the tournament. That, again, our players, and especially Sam Kerr, if you take hers for an example, she's our superstar. She's our hero. We, we love her. We don't care that she missed a penalty. But it was almost thinking like, well... You know, why Why did she miss that penalty? Because usually Sammy would get it. So what's up with Sammy? You know, why wasn't she able to really play and be confident and play her best then? I don't know. Maybe that's just football. But it is an interesting analogy, that whole penalty shootout. <laughs> well, listen, Joey, um, we know you, you're putting in the hard yards in this tournament and, and, and there's nothing... Um, more punishing than to go through the back end of the tournament when you've got to analyse it and you know you, your team, you really feel that they should still be there. Uh, but you're doing a wonderful job and we're, we're really enjoying it. Uh, we just love your, your your passion, your excitement, your just raw enthusiasm for the game and, uh, um, and, uh, and, and it really, really comes across. And we know you come from the right place and, uh, and we want to analyse this, uh, this result in a, in a fair and reasonable kind of fashion and... Uh, um, and we're grateful that um, that you've helped us to, to kick that off. Oh, you're very welcome, guys. And you guys are helping as well because we still need to continue the discussion in Australia, don't we? And it's helping yeah. us. It's helping us to learn the game and to realise that we need to keep growing mm. and, and we've got a lot of work to do. So yeah. you guys are doing a great job too. Good on you. Oh, thanks, Joey. Well, we're committed to um, to being equal to the Matildas as well as the Socceroos and, um, and, and the women's and the men's game when we started this show four years ago. And uh, um, we've been travelling the journey and we'll continue to and uh, and, and we'll be there for, for the good times as well as the rough ones, Joey. So um, we'll talk to you hopefully when, the, when some of the good ones are back again. Yeah, that's brilliant. And look, testament to you guys that I can't tell whether it's a, a men's 
football um, show or it's a, fe- a female one because yeah. you're talking to me with the same passion and the same, I love the questions that you ask and we're really delving deep. So Thanks, yeah, that's Joey. credit to you guys too, but yeah, where your heart is in the game. So well done, everyone, huh? Well done, Joey. Well done, my darling. Brilliant. Love it. You're beautiful, Joey. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Thanks, guys. Bye. Joey Peters, legend. Matilda, legend. 100 games, 110 games, in fact. When she talks, you must listen because she speaks with authority. She speaks from the heart and she speaks with the best uh, intentions for for the game and the people that play it in this country. Another man who does that um, from another angle is Craig Foster the uh, well he's um, his stature just continues to rise doesn't it Dino it in does. terms of his um, his eminence in the game in Australia so uh, we're going to talk to Fozzie next and um, and get his take on uh, some of the other structural elements around all this and uh, and where to from here that's all next on box to box box to box can you believe it the chemist warehouse home of real brands and real savings and storage king the king of storage moving and more and this could be the most crucial goal Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talksport. We continue the post-mortem of the World Cup uh, campaign of the Matildas. Uh, one of the most measured voices, respected voices in this country is, of course, uh, former Socceroo SBS pundit Craig Foster. Welcome back to Box to Box, Craig. Yeah, hi guys. Always good to be with you. Thanks, Foz. And, uh, and look, uh, I really enjoyed your, your article. There's been a lot of fallout um, in the last few days. Uh, we're all proud of... Uh, of our girls and uh, and what they do and and the effort that they put in, um, but um, as you pointed out in your, your article, um, abuse and uh, the the torrent of uh, vitriol from the trolls of social media needs to be set aside for the filth that it is. Um, fair assessment of the team's performance, though, is um, perfectly reasonable. Yeah, in fact, it's an important part of the game. Um, and while you know, as long as it's not personal, I don't think it. it you know, we don't like when it, and it's unnecessary for it to attack individual players. Uh, and we saw some of that, you know, around Robbie Cruz and his family and other things at the Russian World Cup. So those types of things, I don't think, are part of Australian sporting culture anyway. Um, but I think as as we grow, um, Australia needs to, and our teams really need to come to terms with Australia not just caring more, and we want to see that, and and that means even more emotion, whether they whether the uh, emotion is positive when they win or or negative when they when either national team loses, but also that people take a view, and I think are increasingly having a more literate view in terms of how the team are playing, what their particular view on that is. Uh, and whether it is or isn't working. And, you know, that doesn't make the coach's job easier. We know that. Sometimes that, that discussion goes off a little bit, and I think could be, as you said, you used the word measured, I think could be guided a little bit better. I'll give you an example. Like when we were, you know, when Ange with the Socceroos was playing a back three, for instance, um, you know, that whole discussion, I think, uh, lacked a little bit of um, insight that we, we probably could have um, applied a bit more. So, you know, it became all about this kind of, you know, that the back three was wrong rather than um, trying to have a discussion around what are the different ways that it's played, whether it's appropriate for the players, whether it, um, you know, in, in what different types of ways it could be done. And I tried to write a little bit around that time as well. I remember when we were in the Confederations Cup, saying, look, the issue is not whether it's a back three or back 15. The issue is the, the flexibility of our teams, um, whether it's appropriate, what the underlying philosophy is, and all those things. So 
we, I think the, all of these discussions are improving quickly as Australia comes to understand and be more and more passionate about football, and that's extremely important. You know, you, you look at the defending principles of what the team did, you know, Matilda's was over in, uh, over in the World Cup in France, and that first game and the Netherlands game immediately prior was really obviously problematic. People could see that. And it's good that they discuss why is that the case, what's changed, what is the coach trying to do, is it appropriate? That's how I think everyone learns. And it also brings everyone closer to the game. And, and it's those discussions that you guys have on this show and that we have, you know, every hour of the day at SBS and, you know, football people do, that's what really ties us emotionally to the game. Foz, uh, Dean here. Um, welcome, yeah. welcome again back to the show. Um, Thanks. Obviously, the, the result wasn't what we wanted. Did you have in your mind a pass mark for where you mm. thought they might need to get to to say, well, yeah, that was most probably where yeah. possibly I thought we might get to? Mm. Well, I, I, my pass mark always is, and you know, we've, we've been talking over a long period of time, guys, of course, we, we know each other well, Dean, and so on. So, yeah. You would know over many years, I haven't really changed my view, and that is that what you want to see is the team play in a particular way that is going to bring success. So did they reach the ability that they have? And, you know, what other other decisions around the team um, and by the coach who, um, you know, all of his decisions or her decisions should be um, speculated about and analysed and debated. Uh, and do that, you know, are we playing in a way that gives us the best opportunity and hitting a level that um, is necessary for our national teams? Uh, have, having regard or understanding what they're capable of, right? No one expects us to go play like New Zealand, it's obvious, right? So the thing is, because sport is always inherently unpredictable. So in other words, it's never for me a case that if the Matildas go, and we were hopeful that they would go one step further, obviously, that was the benchmark, yeah, right, was yeah. to try and make a semi-final. Okay? And that's what we were all hopeful for. But I use the word hopeful because, um, you know, you, you never know. There's, there's always disappointments in sport, um, and simply not making it does not mean that people are exoriated. It doesn't mean that, that, you know, in my view, it's a complete failure because we didn't make it. You have to analyse the decisions that are being made, the way we've played, the approach we've taken, and that, of course, is one of the issues with this tournament. It's about the, you know, the leading and the decisions that were around the group, which I think compromised their opportunity to go as far as they could. That's the real question. So I think we um, had an, a really glaring opportunity to go further, um, and in my view, the lead up to the tournament certainly wasn't helpful. And I think, in the end, harmed our opportunity to go as far as we could, really, it's that simple. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Craig Foster in the wake of the Matildas uh, campaign ended uh, all too soon. I just want to pick you up on that question about the planning around it. We're going to to talk to Phil Moss later on in the show about the makeup of the independent uh, inquiry. Um, Is that um, something that um, that you uh, uh, have a particular view on as to to the makeup of that panel? No, I haven't really turned my mind to it. The reason being is because I'm not that confident that it's going to occur, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think FFA and, and David Galp, CEO, um, has said that there will be an, a review of on-field and off-field performance. And I would say the history of our game, really, and the culture of our game is more aligned to let's just run an internal review you know, and, and we'll tell everyone that we're going to make different decisions in future and that we perhaps could have done things a bit better. But this is a bit different in my view. That's why I think 
Um, I'd like to see something external and independent happen because I do think the leadership group, and that includes David, need to be scrutinised because the community rightly... You know, I think we can separate all of the, um, you know, the real huge emotion around Ellen's magic decision that occurred at that time. Um, But now it's many months on, and as I said before the tournament, it doesn't matter if we made the finals or we didn't. What that decision showed is that we're heading into tournaments regularly now with a short-term interim coach. And it doesn't matter whether Hunter, so much that Ante Milicic may have done a good job or, or people have a view about what Ange did in 2014, which I happen to think was outstanding. And we went there and wanted to learn and try to play in a certain way, as you've got now. Um, the, that's not really the issue. The, the issue is not afterwards to come and say, well, OK, well, actually, Ante did well or he didn't. The point is that we keep going in the major tournaments in a, in a situation where we have a new coach on board. And as you know, the, the, Russia last year was the same situation. I, I don't particularly know the details of why. But I, in my view, the strategic issue was just the latest in a line that's occurred. So I think we need a, a really good independent review into, A, that decision, because it, this, it's so problematic. Um, there was all sorts of allegations of this, you know, some questions around what was then the toxic culture, and then it's not, and so on. And this is a national team, so I, I just believe as a matter of principle that the community has a right to know when it comes to our national team. This is not a management decision. This is not replacing the head of marketing with another head of marketing. Okay, that's, that's a decision by David Gallup and or the board, which they're entitled to, which they're held accountable by the board. Um, this is very different. This is, a, this is the people's team. This is the national team. Mm. So I think when it comes to a decision around relieving Stagicov's duty. It's a decision that the community have a right to understand why it occurred. And if there's quite serious question marks, which there are, around the propriety of that decision um, and, and governance in relation to it and leadership over a couple of year period of time, because if there was issues internally, then how did they get there? Um, and right from the start, as I said, Alan Stagicov is only one element here. If there were issues, how was, how was it managed into that place? Because that that tends to, to say, oh, I think all of us, but if it's not properly dealt with, if we don't understand the dynamics internally now, then it can happen again. So I simply don't want us to be in four years' time with another coach brought in several months before a tournament and we'll be in the same spot. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really need to avoid that. And now I think there's an opportunity to do so. I think it would be, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a, a big challenge for the current board. You know, they're, they're reasonably new. They've only been there since, what, last November. And here, you know, we're, we're calling on them to um, scrutinise themselves. I was involved in something not dissimilar with the PFA only a couple of years ago. I went back as chairman in 2016. They asked me to come back and review the organisation. And we ran a, an independent, um, really brave review, which the players bought into. And I told them at the time, listen, guys, you're going to have to, you've got to be courageous here. It's the only way to improve. And we ran an independent governance review. It highlighted some issues which um, were ultimately changed. The organisation was strengthened through that dramatically and are in a much better position today. Um, I think the FFA should do the same thing. Fozzie, returning to events in France and as the post-mortem continues, 
Um, they've got to look up. They've got to look beyond the Norway result, disappointing as it was. It wasn't overall mm-hmm. a great tournament. The loss to Italy. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that highlighted the kind of even with Australia being sixth uh, ranking, the disparity between the European teams, the pools of players that they have available, um, mm-hmm. and 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 the culture, I suppose, that underpins that football. Do you think there's still some way to mm-hmm. go for Australia in that regard? Look, we, we have got a huge challenge on our hands, and this is one of the reasons why we need to make sure that the, the best environment can be provided is there. In other words, we can't be making what appear to me to be reasonably simple mistakes and changes uh, you know, and going into tournaments in a position of uncertainty and expecting to have international success. So, you know, Italy have done really well. The question is whether the lead-in of Australia in any way compromised our opportunities you know in that game or thereafter and I, I happen to think that it did but it's a it's a we're not talking about each kick of the ball here or whether we had 58 percent or 52 percent of possession what we're talking about is trying to make sure that in future our national teams are going to be appropriately managed and dealt with and it'd be interesting to get the perspective of the recent former national coaches and see what their view is of FFA and, and I think they'll have some issues around level of football knowledge within the organisation, support that they're given within the organisation and or, um, I think, lack of understanding at board level. And these issues, I'd be confident, would come out in a review, right? When it comes to teams like Italy, and so we'll look at the quarterfinals. Seven of the eight quarterfinals are from Europe. It's a huge challenge for Australia right now. And if we don't start doing things differently, I think we're going to be in deep trouble, actually, in the next five years, let alone ten. Spain are investing, Italy are investing. So what you're seeing is that the, the traditional power football nations in Europe are now all of a sudden have tweaked to the power, or whether it's the political nature, whatever their motivations are, don't matter. They are now investing in women's football mm. and they are growing quickly. So we, we are struggling. You know, junior national teams remain a problem. We are struggling in the females to make the, the, the junior national uh, World Cups. And yet after a very limited period of investment, Spain have already gone and won the under-17s and, and lost the final in the under-20s. That's a huge challenge to us. I also think that the Italian coach was right prior to the game, where she said the day before that, at the press conference they asked her about Australia, and she said physically incredible and, you know, doing and they've got really quick players, you know, the transition's going to be a really problem for us and blah, 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 blah. But she said at this period of time in the women's game, those qualities are making a big difference. Um, whether they will in the next five years, I'm not so sure. You guys might have remembered those comments. And I watched them and thought, yeah, she's smart, because that's what's happening. The mm-hmm. women's game is changing. And so a, a different type of players. Um, Japan won the World Cup playing a different way. They're like a mini Spain, a fabulous team. But it's taken the others a little bit longer. Spain has come through and doing that now. Netherlands are now starting to grow. You can see the quality of their attackers. So we have a very big challenge. And we are going to have to understand what future women's football looks like. We're going to have to have a, have a really thorough review of where we're strong and, and where we're, we're weaker. What types of players are we seeking to produce? What type of football are we seeking to play? All of those big questions have to be answered now because I was involved in um, the development uh, platform through New South Wales. I had a fabulous nearly six years there, three years with the males, uh, you know, a lot of the kids from the Joeys and so on, and I had three years with the females. And um, and I can tell you, I had 
no um, no information from above as to you know we were kept going into these junior tournaments and not making them and yet and I would actually ask it's okay so you we haven't been able to make down a 20 women's world cup you've gone there and we haven't done well what is it that you're struggling with what is it that we're facing that you think we're lacking where are where do we need to focus on in these younger years what type of players should we be seeking to to recruit what are what are the weaknesses and it was that was impossible actually to get information mm-hmm. so that's a technical that's a technical issue but you know I do think it reflects where the organization has got to now and, and look I wish we were talking about wonderful things I wish we were, were moving forward but football will always need to review and analyze and continue to improve uh, and in that respect we've really got to get our, our work into gear okay exactly. you know, particularly you know because the women's football right now is, is in a fabulous place we've got incredibly loved athletes world famous athletes like Sam where are the next generations? What do they look like? And how we, how are we bringing all of these kids through? That's why I have the broader questions. Well, we might have to get you on, on another day, Foz, to look at yeah, the, no the coach after Ante because that is going to be a massive um, decision post uh, uh, Tokyo uh, Olympics next year. So, But, Foz, thank you so much. We're, we're trying to be as measured and as reasonable in the analysis yes, um, as we possibly can. And we know when uh, we talk to you, we're, we're going to get that kind of feedback. Uh, so th- thanks again uh, for coming on and, uh, and, uh, and chatting football as we know you love to do, mate. My pleasure, always. Craig Foster. Well, let's stick around because we're actually going to talk about the World Cup, the games. The rest of the games, because there is a tournament still on, by the way, in case we hadn't noticed. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to take a look at the rest of the knockout games. Stick around for that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. Um, it's been a jam-packed first hour, and we have gone on a little longer than we normally would with our first two guests, Joey and Foz, because they've got a lot to say and a lot of good things to say, but we still do need to go through the rest of the knockout games. Now, as we know, we, um, we're we doing the show on Thursday evening, so uh, for those of you who are tuning in and already are aware of the England-Norway result, um, we have not seen that result yet, and so we are going to make our predictions without. Yeah, so the we've of that. We've, uh, we've just covered obviously the and completed the uh, round of 16, uh, the results so far. Well, why don't you, um, Dino, fire us off with the games that we know and just go go through the games individually because we've got yourself, Willem and Derek. Okay, here, just and we're all oh, make not look at any results. So we've yeah, I think we know okay, all the results. That's cool. So let's, no, let's right. go through. So the well, games. the core final draw. Was made and uh, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, some of the games, there's some really interesting ones. Uh, the one that comes to mind is the one that we don't know what the result is yet, which is Norway and England. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, I mean, I'm from my point of view, I, I think England have been playing quite well. I know Norway are a good side, but uh, for me, I, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna tip England. I'll go for Norway. I thought they were uh, clinical against Australia, and especially if it comes down to penalties, they'll be confident to go through there. So I'll pick an upset and go Norway. Well done. Yeah, I'm going to stick with um, with England. Uh, I think there's a, a sense um, of camaraderie in that side that Phil Neville has got going, and uh, I just feel that um, that they are building to something. I thought Norway were uh, fantastic, but uh, um, I back um, Derek's um, favourite um, international manager, Phil Neville. Am I right in saying that, or maybe he's not? No, and in fact, I'm going to go for Norway as well. Um, England have got a few injury problems in central defence and not a lot of cover there. Beth Houghton, for example, you know, might not make the game. Norway were very impressive. 
as Willem said, so I'm going to go for them. So then Saturday, um, France and the United States. And uh, obviously the, the States uh, most probably didn't cover themselves early uh, with that Thailand performance in the celebrations. But uh, they've been a, a pretty, pretty consistent uh, for me throughout the competition. So for me, I've gone uh, I've gone the States to United States to, to win. I'll also go for the USA. I think, yeah, they didn't cover themselves in glory too early. But I think their performances have been quite impressive and they've built into tournaments well. They've been there and done that, so I'll go with the US. Lovely. Now, I'm um, I'm going for the, the host nation and um, and I'm predicting also that Donald Trump will um, will tweet <laughs> against uh, Megan Rapinoe. Um, hopefully this time he will choose the right Megan Rapinoe because I'm not sure that you guys saw... Tagged the wrong, the wrong one. tagged the wrong one. And, it, oh uh, and the wrong one still had a whack at him. <laughs> what about you, Derek? Yeah, I'm going to go with... Uh, France as well. It's probably the first time I've gone against the favourite in my predictions, but shades you are of, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> um, shades of '98 for you know playing at home, not playing particularly well, but getting getting the results. So France for me. Then obviously Australia's, uh, um, you know, the, the, Italy. I mean, they always do good in tournaments, uh, and even most probably with the women. But I still think uh, I think Netherlands have been pretty good throughout, and um, I'm going to back uh, the Dutch. Both nations have ridden their luck to an extent, so it's going to come unstuck for one of them. I'll also back in the Dutch. Um, well, you would, wouldn't you? I would, absolutely. Van <laughs> <Dendron>. <laughs> um, So uh, I'm going with uh, the Italian side. My friends uh, know that I, um, I'm a frustrated Italian. I'm married to one. My children have got Italian blood coursing through their veins. Many of my friends are Italian, and um, you know I consider myself the consigliere of that group. So, of course, I'm going with, uh, with the Italians. Uh, the uh, sister Azzurri to um, to beat the Dutch. I'm going to go for the Dutch. It's the business end of the tournament. They're the, the team with the track record and winning major tournaments. So I think it's Aradacci for Italy. There you go. All right. So finally, the last game is uh, the Germans, and we know what the Germans are like in uh, competition mm-hmm. against the Swedes. So this, I think this is this is one that's in the balance. But I'm just going to back based on my background with Germany, <laughs> international football, that the Germans will get through to the semi-final. So I go Germany. Similar idea for me, Dino. Sweden, yeah, good chance of an upset, but I will back the Germans. Yeah, with the Swedes, they uh, they dour and they can they can sort of bore you into submission, can't they, um, the way that uh, they generally play football. But uh, they, they, they have been known to pluck a result. So on the basis that I'm predicting a series of upsets, and if I get them right, be um, I'll up. be feeding him um, <laughs> the uh, legend of, um, of the selection panel. I am going to go with Sweden to knock the Germans out. Derek? No, I disagree entirely <laughs> <laughs> with the other two guys. I think um, you know the bookmakers have got Germany as favourites. I think that's right. They play well in the tournament. They'll go through. Excellent. I think one you know we've still got like about another minute before this segment uh, mm. shuts. So it'd be interesting that had Australia got through, what would we have been predicting against? Well, we would have been playing England. So, yeah, we would. So, uh, what, so of course, so we would what have would been, you have predicted well, though? Well, you know, I would have been picking Australia because we would have been uh, in uh, <laughs> like superlative form. It wouldn't have been a post-mortem. This show would have been a celebration <laughs> so far. We would have been exciting. Sam would have been the legend. But you know what? I think we might well have been playing England if a certain player was brought on late in the game uh, to take a penalty. Because if there is one player in that squad that I would have backed to burst the ball out of the back of the net in a penalty shootout, it's a lady called Lisa Devanna. And uh, and I, I cannot imagine that she would have crumbled, um, unfortunately. And yeah. it has to be said, 
the way that Sam did where her technique um, just let her down because uh, we can all have Sam um, having her, her goal saved by a spectacular save or just the, the keeper picking the right side, but, but not to balloon it that way. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, great first hour. Uh, next hour, we've got uh, Socceroos Central, Pararoos Central. Of course, they're off to the World Cup uh, in Spain. Phil Moss is going to talk to us about the coaches, uh, Fjorn Stajic and the inevitable analysis that's going to happen. Uh, will David Gallup um, call for the inquiry? We don't know. We'll find out. Europe and stoppage time with Michael Edgeley. That's all coming up on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box. Second edition news shortly. Phil Moss, um, will the FFA call the independent inquiry? Well, um, if they do, the Football Coaches Association boss Phil Moss wants to be involved. We're going to chat to him about that. We're going to talk about Europe. Um, Derek has got the uh, transfer merry-go-round with only five weeks ahead of the new season, would you believe? And Edge um, will have an extended stoppage time with him and uh, the latest on uh, his um, adventures in France. Willem, uh, what are you going to fire us off with to start, man? Socceroos and Pararoos Central to start, Rob. For the Green and Gold Army, support the Oliroos in Thailand as they attempt to qualify for the 2020 Olympics with the Green and Gold Army. Queen's Park Rangers are reportedly looking to sell Maslowongo ahead of the championship, with his contract set to expire in 12 months' time. Leeds and Nottingham are said to be considering moves to him, according to the London Football News. What do we make of this one, Dino? Um, yeah, look, I rate the boy. I mean, I like him. He was, uh, the year before, the player of the year. Uh, Forrest um, most probably needed good quality midfielder. Who was the other one? Leeds. Oh, Leeds. Um, interesting, yeah. I mean, might be a fit. Um, but again, I don't, I'm not, not quite sure. I mean, I think Forrest might suit him better, to be honest. He seems to be excelling while Queen's Park seems sort of mired in a bit of mediocrity, so maybe time to jump ship. And a bit of uh, shuffling of the deck chairs in the national team coaching realms. Tony Vidmar will join the Socceroos as an assistant coach, having impressed during the recent friendly against South Korea. And Gary Van Egmont will relinquish his assistant position with the Matildas. He'll be the young Socceroos head coach. Now, guys, we seem to see a lot of uh, similar faces in only slightly different roles. Is this healthy while the national teams aren't having a great deal of success to keep flicking similar coaches around? Dean, you're probably best qualified. So are you saying who's got the job? Well, Tony Vidmar is going to be an assistant with the Socceroos. Yeah. He's been an FFA employee who's had a couple of different positions. Gary Van Egmont has been coach of the Young Matildas. Yeah. He was then an assistant with the Matildas at the World Cup just gone. Now he's going to be the Young Socceroos head coach. Is it healthy to keep churning over the same sort of faces? Uh, I look, think one uh, of the problems there is that when you are a coach, you're an employee of the FFA. Yeah. So as we've seen with Ante Milicic, he's had a contract and they've sort of put him in put different him in holes there. that have emerged. Look, I, I, think, I think nothing against any individual, no. uh, but... I think each specific job has a prerequisite of what a coach needs to be mm-hmm. to get the best out of that group and not always that one cap fits all. So most probably, yeah, have you, you, your coaches can go in there and do jobs in an emergency. But for me, you should be going out to market and get the best candidate for, for you to get there and, uh, and, and, and get the results. I mean, you only have to look at England's under 21 with a really respected coach and they've gone out pretty well in straight sets. So it happens all over the place, you know. So, Derek, um, coming from, from England, um, one of the constant complaints of, uh, of English sports fans is that, uh, or football fans is that um, locals don't get enough of a go at the highest level with so many imports coming from continental Europe, whereas we seem to be recycling the same people. Um, 
having watched you know that roundabout um, for the last few years, what's your take on it? Oh, look, I think it's always worth striking a balance in these situations. I think we've seen with the likes of the Premier League how um, international coaches, for example, have transformed not just the the te- you know the, the big teams, but all clubs through the level. But yes, you're right. There is a a sense um, that at the, the club level that coaches aren't getting opportunities with top teams. In England, the national team floated with international coaches, with Capello and Svengor and Eriksson as well. And I think people want to see um, good English talent coming through uh, at the coaching level as well. So it's heartening to see people like uh, Frank Lampard or these kind of people. We'll go on to Frank a little later, but having a go. Mm. Okay. The Pararoos will tomorrow head to Munich, where they'll play two friendlies against Germany. Those matches will be at 3am on Tuesday and Wednesday morning this week. Following that, they'll be on to Seville for the opening World Cup clash with Ukraine on Sunday morning. So next time we convene, the tournament will have kicked off, so we'll have some more news on the Pararoos then. And as uh, we we mentioned last week, and we've talked over the journey, uh, the Pararoos, of course, are... uh our side uh, who are made up of, uh, of players with uh, cerebral palsy and, uh, and other uh, brain injuries and uh, some of the things that they do are, are really quite incredible. The, the standard uh, of football there uh, is, um, is exceptional. So go the Pararoos. We, um, we are going to be watching them very closely as they head into, uh, into their World Cup. So uh, games, as you say, against uh, Ukraine, Argentina and Spain coming up. FIFA has charged Cameroon with team misconduct and offensive behaviour following their 3-0 loss to England at the Women's World Cup. Cameroon took umbrage with a number of refereeing decisions and at one stage threatened to walk off the pitch. It's also alleged Augustine Ejungui spat on the arm of Tony Duggan. Now there's a further layer to this gents. Referee Kin Liang admitted she refused to look at the VAR on further incidents for fear Cameroon would walk off. This was an ugly display, boys. Well, you're not um, the biggest fan of, um, of Phil Neville, as we've already uh, canvassed, Derek, and we know that um, he came off the long run and didn't miss at all. Um, is, is this something that, um, uh, look, obviously they need to be investigated and some kind of punishment needs to be meted out. You can't be having that sort of stuff. But but um, do you think he went um, too far in his reaction? I first thought it lacked a lot of class, to be honest with you, gents. I mean, this is about growing the game and positive stories about about women's football and instead he just took a pot shot and I thought it was a really easy pot shot to take I think there's a a broader um, discussion to be had around how these VAR uh, incidents are treated and I don't think the communication was there and it's no wonder that the uh, Cameroon players lost their heads a little bit I think England would have done exactly the same thing in their situation I I think also Derek and I I agree with you um, you know I think he could have done he could have handled it a lot better the fact you needed to say something I've got no problem saying something and, and making a point but I think it's unfair to go into a major tournament and use VAR mm. where it's, it's not been used before and all of a sudden and, and the girls have got no idea of mm. what, what it's about the, most of the players around the world have not played in, mm. with VAR so it's a whole interruption it should be trialled at lo- lower levels like this, they've been doing it and then you roll it out into big tournaments you don't, mm. you don't just go out there and throw it out to yeah, the world it, some of the, the analysis that, um, that I've been hearing coming out of, of Europe is that, uh, um, that it's not necessarily VAR that is the issue it's the people that are conducting the reviews and that the depth of um of officiating at the moment in the women's game is uh is is not um deep enough so to put them well exactly to put them in that pressure where mm. they're still not quite at the level they want to be or want you know they think they should be mm. then that even makes it even worse 
Yeah, and it just seems strange to me that VAR was so universally praised after the Men's World Cup in Russia that it's uh, it's now being equally castigated in the women's. Well, I thought it's, the it's men's like... one was was quite clean. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of all really big major issues. And interestingly, FIFA graded Kinliang's game as referee as good, as more than acceptable, so that shows that the VAR really is the root of the issue. And to be honest, I, I, I don't um, um, have a problem with what she did in the end. Um, you know, what did you want to do, start sending players off willy-nilly and no, see no, she things well. get completely she out of it. hand? Sometimes you've got to just make the best judgment, don't you? So, no, she did. Yeah. AC and Inter Milan are moving ahead with plans to demolish the San Siro Stadium. The Giuseppe Meazza Stadium, as it's formerly known, has long been considered in need of refurbishment, but it's been decided they'll start from scratch. The venue hosted matches in the 1990 World Cup, as well as four European Cup finals. Gents, it's got me thinking, how are some of these stadiums not heritage listed to some extent? Uh, yeah, look, I've had the pleasure, or should I say the displeasure, of going to the San Siro. Okay. This could be coloured by the fact I saw Arsenal lose 4-0 at the San Siro. <laughs> could be. And uh, Zlatan scoring a, a hat-trick. Um, but it, it, even though it's an iconic stadium from the Italian 1990, it's got this very iconic... Um, circular structures on the outside. The stadium itself was a pit, to be honest with you. There was no facilities. Um, I wouldn't even describe the toilets as toilets. It is, it's really not a modern stadium at all. And I think, you know, Italy's a first-class footballing country, and I think they need to bulldoze it and start again. Good decision. Okay, fair enough. There's your answer, Will. Sarpreet Singh looks set to make a shock move to Bayern Munich after impressing for New Zealand at the Under-20 World Cup. Singh is in Munich at the moment, as is expected to play in the reserves, with an eye to the first team down the track. He'd become the first Kiwi to play for Bayern, and you'd expect we'd see a significant feat heading back the other way to the Wellington Phoenix. Yeah. That could be what interesting, couldn't it? Mm. On one hand, I think it's fantastic for not only his future, but also Wellington's future, in that they should get a significant transfer fee. At the same time, they don't have much of a future by the looks of things. They need results now, so to lose him... Is not doesn't bode well for next season. Well, that's right, and then you've got the salary cap, so you can't really go out and can't spend uh, too much, apart from bringing really good imports, possibly, that could change the uh, momentum. FFA might find a few new reasons to uh, find them and wrangle a bit of that money out of the club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, now, now we, we're going to talk about the African Cup of Nations a little bit later as well, because um, there's been some amazing results in, in that tournament too. But before we do, uh, Storage King, our friends, during June, if you... Get on down to your local storage king. You will get one month's storage free. Now, there are only a few days left, so you've got the chance to get in to your storage king. Get online, storageking.com.au. Find your nearest store. New customers only. Ends on the 30th of June. See in store for terms and conditions, but you want to get to storageking.com.au because it is an opportunity too good to pass. All right, gentlemen, well done, Willem. Uh, we are going to talk to Phil Moss next. It'll be an interesting conversation because um, Phil has taken a very strident view about uh, um, the um, the way uh, the Alan Stadich uh, scenario played out. Um, and uh, we're going to find out where he's at now that um, the Matildas are um, out of the tournament, uh, the World Cup, and what he uh, anticipates will a an independent review occur. Um, will it not? Well, let's talk to uh, Phil after the break on Box to Box to find out what he thinks. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal now, of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sports. So we've analysed um, the Matilda's post-mortem um, in depth um, in the show so far, but uh, none of uh, that conversation can happen without the uh, the, the overall look at uh, at what led to parts of uh, 
the uh, the dysfunction in um, in the, the camp um, prior to the World Cup. So uh, to talk to us about um, the possibility, um, and I say possibility because it's not been confirmed by the FFA yet, of an independent review into the uh, Stadich sacking uh, Football Coaches Association boss Phil Moss. Welcome back to the show, Phil. So, Phil, tell me, um, are we sure that there's going to be an independent inquiry or, um, as um, Fozzie said uh, in, in the opening, um, uh, it hasn't been unequivocally stated that it will be the case and, and if it is, will it be um, a, a navel-gazing exercise that uh, that uh, that doesn't uh, um, make any real decisions? Yeah, look, the only thing we're sure about as a, as a coaches' association is that it demands uh, an independent inquiry um and and it's not about the you know it's, it's, it's less about the actual final decision to terminate alan stagic and more about the the process that led to that and and allowed uh, it, it to be such a late decision in the in the four-year cycle of a of a world cup and you know at the end of the day the, the most successful matilda's coach in history was terminated about five months out from a world cup with a group of players that had a, a combined total of well over a thousand caps that were going to a world cup ranked number six and with a real shot of going very very deep into the tournament phil the critics of the coaches association say um that that you funded alan stagic's legal process was there consultation with your members about it you know what did it cost uh, uh where, where, how do you respond to those um those uh comments quite simply we didn't fund his legal case at all <laughs> Um, that's an easy answer. Um, we, we haven't got the funds to do things like that yet. We're uh, still in our infancy. But what we were able to do was wrap some resources, particularly um, emotional support for Alan, as we would with any coach, male or female. That's what we're about, is, is wrapping that support around coaches, bringing education to Australia to help develop our coaches and um, fighting for what's fair and reasonable for coaches because we just don't believe that they're treated with the respect that we deserve in in the, the professional game in Australia. Phil Dean Hennessy here. How are you, mate? Good day, Dean. Yeah, good, good. Uh, th- thanks for coming back on the show. Um, with regards to obviously being a coach myself, and obviously you've <laughs> you've certainly done it as well. Um, it can be a lonely place, as we all know. Uh, and even though when we're surrounded with all of our support staff and, and the like, and but it's always generally the manager's got a lot on his plate and 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 i think you're absolutely right they need a lot and you know i'm not just using with this what's happened to stage uh, but this could be any coach there needs to be a process uh, that's really really professional of how they get rid of them because it's so easy to just sack somebody and replace somebody and and, and obviously your organization's there about trying to support them in their most probably most wanted need yeah, that's right, Dean. You're spot on, and I think I spoke last time I, I came on Box to Box about, um, you know, procedural fairness and a, and a unified um, grievance procedure. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're things that are just an absolute must because we're in a profession where, you know, three or four losses can uh, can mean your livelihood slips between your fingers, um, and uh, there has to be some some form of unification um, around that and. And what's next? Because it's not like you're where you fall out of a job and you fall into another one a week later because there's so many opportunities. That's not the case in Australia. So, um, you know, we're absolutely adamant that, that that's what we will strive for as a coaches association. And, you know, we've got around 280 members now. Um, and we've only been uh, in existence just less than 12 months. So we're, we're certainly making some huge strides forward. And, um, look, the Alan Stagic case is, is the, the most high profile 
of our first 12 months, but there's been plenty of others. There's something like 40 coaches or 45 coaches that we've read uh, that we've um, represented. So grassroots coaches. Months. Well, we're talking we're talking professional coaches. Uh, we're talking coaches who are coaching in the A League uh, with national teams uh, at the NPL level. Um, there are so many coaches out there that need our support. If there was to be an independent inquiry, which obviously you're hoping for in your organisation, who else do you think out of the footballing bodies that you would expect to be invited in there? Would 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 the PFA be involved in something like that? And what other organisations would you want to include so it's really rounded? Well, yeah, that's right. Look, I think it's the, it's the key stakeholders that, that have to have a say because what we don't want is an inquiry into an inquiry that leads to another inquiry. Of course. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really got to be transparent. It's got to have the credibility um, that is going to help the game move forward. And, and at the end of the day, we want the world's best governance to take the game forward and uh, if we're not prepared to hold ourselves accountable and and hold the game accountable for for the way we govern it um, in a really transparent, independent way um, and and grow from what those learnings are, then we're never going to go forward. We're never going to get to the level that um, that the game deserves in this country. So, you know, without naming names, I think there's some key stakeholders um, in in the Australian um, game that um, that should be all over, have their fingerprints all over a selection process um, on who drives this uh, independent inquiry. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Phil Moss, the, the head of the Professional Coaches Association. And, and speaking of people who do have their fingerprints all over, uh, what caused this mess is um, David Gallup. Um, he's come out and stood by his. Uh, uh, leading of the decision to to um, to remove um, Stadich from the job. Um, surely uh, David Gallup needs to be under the spotlight um, of inquiry throughout all of this as well. Look, you know, it's of course David is the, the face of FFA as, as CEO um, and, you know, he was the one that fronted the press conference with Chris Niku when they made the announcement and uh, and that's the press conference where... The surveys were were unearthed to the public, um, and you know it's the first we'd heard of that. Um, so yeah, look, as part of any inquiry, I think the um, you know the, the senior leadership um, would would be um, would be reviewed as as part of that process. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but it, it needs to be a thorough review. And and, and again, I, I go back to how was this process allowed to. Um, I guess, be delayed to a point where it, it came to a head five months out from a World Cup. So would you think, Phil, based on that, that let's say we've got to learn from the experience of what happened to Stadion, and it is a high-profile case because it was, it was front and centre of everything at, the, at that moment. If, in, in, if we had it, a structure where they, before that decision was made, they could then go to the, the stakeholders that you're talking about should be together as a group, that then there could be a better outcome or a more satisfying outcome where the, all the facts were on the table and there was proof there was a reason why you would you know, let somebody go versus, no, there isn't a reason here. So it's an unfair dismissal because this, this can't be proven. Is that what you're looking for? No, not really. No, not no. at all, Dean, because a governing body has got the right to make a decision to remove a coach. Yep. I don't think that's that's in question. And, and if it's just a football decision, then that's fair enough as well, because yep. we all know we're in a results-driven game, and Matilda's results, if you just look at their, their on-field results, have dipped a bit. Um, so if they want to make that decision, no problem. But a toxic culture 
does not appear overnight. No, of course. It takes time. Mm. And, and the, 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 the question really is, how was that, if there was a toxic culture, which was used at the time um, and, and almost rescinded uh, a, a week or two before the, uh, before the World Cup when there was a statement released that it was just a football decision, um, then if there was a toxic culture, then how was that allowed to, to build and let go for, for such an amount of time that then a, a final decision was made five months out from World Cup to remove the coach? Yeah. All right, Phil. Well, look, hopefully we'll find that out. Um, Football Public of Australia um, have got the right to, to have clarity on all of this, and uh, um, the, um, the the result at the World Cup um, clearly was not what was expected. Uh, um, if the decision was made on football decisions, obviously uh, um, yeah, that didn't work out. And, um, and and if anything, we can uh, with with fair and even. Um, uh, approaches uh, from every angle uh, that every person who was involved in this situation uh, should uh, be um, called to account and uh, and have to answer for their, their behaviour and the decisions that they made so that there is clarity. Uh, Phil, we're really grateful for your time, mate. Um, no doubt we'll talk to you again uh, as um, as this plays out and other stories play out um, in, in the world of professional coaching uh, um, over time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Phil Moss on Box to Box. All right, stick around because we are going to get through the coaching and player merry-go-round. Derek's got it all covered. That is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Box to Box. Um, We've got a stack to get through here. We want to talk about... uh, um, Copper America, African Cup of Nations, and Derek's got some um, analysis on the coaching player merry-go-round. But before we do that, I just want to let you know that it's not too late to roll up your sleeve and get on down to Chemist Warehouse, the flu immunisation service. Bookings are still available. Um, $12.99 for the quadrivalent strain at selected stores. Conditions do apply, so see the website for details. All you've got to do is type in chemistwarehouse.com.au. Uh, you'll find the icon there and uh, get on into it. Uh, there's also the massive stock take sale, half price off vitamins, uh, 50% off some other health essentials. you just got to get into Chemist Warehouse where you do not need to pay more. Chemist Warehouse, Nigel. Bang. That's it. Dina. Yeah, I'm going to start quickly on the under-21 championship semi-finals. Uh, Germany against Romania and Spain against France. And that's actually happening and most probably will be waking up to it tomorrow morning to see who's got to the final. And the Copa America, this is a quarter-final and, and, and we didn't talk about Adi Boothroyd and leaving no, Phil we... Foden off. I mean, that was a disaster. Well, it was. It was. But, uh, you know, Adi would have his reasons. Uh, but Copa America, uh, Brazil are playing Paraguay. This is quarter-final stage. Venezuela and Argentina, which I think will be quite tasty. Then there's Colombia and Chile. And then final two spots there are Uruguay and Paraguay. So getting to the pointy end of which the semi-finals will be played next week with the finals next week end. Then we've had the African Cup of Nations start and already Group A and B have played two games and Egypt are on six points. So they've qualified for the round of 16, as have Nigeria in Group B. All the other groups are at one, um, played one, so really too early, early to see. 
And really, that is my little segment uh, in Europe. That's the tightest thing it's you've tight. done in your yes, life, Dina. Yes. Well done. So, Derek, you spent some time preparing this um, this roundabout because it's a it's sort of a never-ending story, isn't it? What's that song? You know, yeah, uh, never-ending story. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, maybe you're intimately uh, connected to it because um, you know you're born and bred with the game, and you know the way these things work. So. Um, so I guess we start off at the top. Uh, Frank Lampard uh, being given permission by Des Morris, the owner of Derby County, Dean's uh, um, side, um, to to talk to Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's always been on the cards. You know, Chelsea have got their hands tied with the transfer ban. I think Lampard is the right kind of profile of manager for them to bring in as the knowledge of the younger players. And obviously they're going to have to rely on them for the next year or so. Jody Morris would come as part of that package Absolutely, too. Yeah. <clears throat> so look, I think that would make sense. Also, the fans would get behind them, I think, as well. Um, I think you've got to feel a bit sorry for Derby County and all this. I mean, they were the team that actually gave Lampard a rookie manager with no pedigree a chance. Mm. They've had one season out of him, and yes, he nearly took them to the promised land, but it was only nearly. And they're going to be looking at um, looking at a, a new manager. Yeah. Now. No, look, I'm, I'm, I support that team, so I'm. Uh, but I, I can see both sides, to be fair. Yeah, and of course the the other major um, manager story is uh, Rafael Benitez not having his contract renewed by Newcastle. So explain. Well, I mean, you can't explain with Newcastle, can you? (laughs) That's the the problem. I mean, they had one of the best managers in Europe, you know, there against all logic. He didn't really have a transfer budget, very restricted in what he was able to do, and he was committed and loyal uh, to that club, and they've clearly not done what it's taken to keep him at the club and he and he wanted to stay so you know if you look at the list of managers that could be coming in it's a pretty laughable list because to be honest who wants to who take wants that job, job? No, so not while he's still not, not while the chairman's still there you're looking at names like Gerard. would he take the job yes it'd probably be a step up from rangers but i don't know i can't see that one talk of Vieira coming in yeah. over from from france so look i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of speculation but I'll, i'm struggling to see them making an appointment anytime soon and I really feel sorry for those fans because they're invested in that club and they're not going to... It's going to potentially be tough times next quick, season. Quick question, Derek. Where, where, where do you reckon Rafa could go to? I think that's a really interesting question. There was some talk of the Chelsea job, funnily enough, but yeah. whether or not they would take They've him, had him before, though, haven't they? Again. Yeah. I think Rafa might take a, a little break out of the game and he may not surface straight away. He doesn't need to. He likes living in England. His family like living in England and he may well look for a, a job that may come up as managers start what about Derby? on. <laughs> take the Derby job. <laughs> On the player side of things, it has been a bit slow until I think the last couple of days. And what mm. happens in a transfer window is that all it takes is a little bit of movement, and all of a sudden those dominoes start to fall. It's been, I suppose, the two biggest clubs in Europe by revenue. Manchester United and Real Madrid have probably been the busiest in the rumour mill. I think Man United have now confirmed when Basaka is going to come to them from yeah. Crystal Palace. Good and player. And indicate and a great player, along with the young lad, the, the Welsh guy James. Oh yeah, he's good. City, yeah, yeah, he's very good. Represents a change in their um, in their transfer strategy. Solskjaer obviously, obviously identifying young players. They've still got to shift a few um, expensive um, players off the wage bill. Sanchez, um, Pogba, you know, mm-hmm. um, Rob's favourite player. <laughs> do you um, think? Do you think? Do, could they get enough revenue for both of them and possibly another one or two? then could fund some really good youngsters, which is the direction I think they look like they're going into. 
Yeah, I think they could. I think Pogba's got the biggest resale value. I think Sanchez in his 30s is maybe a bit of a problem for them. But uh, in Spain, obviously, Real Madrid have been doing quite a lot of business as well. They've already signed Hazard, uh, Jovic from Frankfurt, Mendy from Lyon, talk of Ericsson coming in, but I'm not sure with Hazard whether them two can play in the same team. They love Paul Pogba, but I don't think they can afford him. And talks of a bid for Neymar, but Neymar going back to Barcelona has been the the talking point. Uh, they'd, they'd love to have him back, or certainly Messi and Suarez. Barcelona have already got De Jong and haven't signed Griezmann yet. So mm. there's plenty plenty going on. Delict looks like he's now going to Juventus, which he was, looked like he you was... I don't think Manchester United could... Um... They need to sign him. I mean, if you're going to pick a player in, you know, in a position that United need a player, he wants to play Champions League, doesn't he? I think he wants the Champions League. Mm. Um, So look, there's plenty going on. What about Tottenham? Because obviously they've they've just come back into the transfer market now. I think that I don't think they've signed them, but they're getting very close. Yeah, they've signed Jack Clark from Leeds United. Talk of some Mm. other players. My favourite rumour, just to wrap it up, guys, was um, one was a talk of Raphael Varane going to Manchester United for. 430 million but the best one was Gianluigi Buffon going to Leeds uh, that was in the Daily Star I'm not sure how much we should read into that one yeah yeah that was yeah, as you say best rumour alright Derek well done mate um, okay we're going to get edge on stoppage time Willem's going to come in we're going to be under the uh, the wandering minstrel over there in France Box to Box can you believe it the chemist warehouse home of real brands and real savings and storage king the king of storage moving and more and this could be the most crucial goal of all Box, it's been a great episode, but it wouldn't be over until the travelling journeyman of football in France comes off the long run in stoppage time. There's about 10 minutes to go. Michael Edgeley, how are you? I'm very well, Rob. Uh, Dean, good uh, afternoon and evening. We've got Willem yeah, and we've got Derek in here as well, mate. We've got a full squad here, Willem mate. and Derek. Derek, I hope you're making sure the boys are asking hard questions of the guests. They're just not treating their guests with kid gloves, are they? No, there's been some pr- pretty serious debate here, and I'm just wondering whether you're now going to buy your England shirt ready for the uh, quarterfinals. <laughs> Well, we've got a, a bus you know, in a couple of hours' time. I mean, uh, we obviously record this Thursday night in Australia, and a couple of hours' time, there's a busload of Australians heading up to La Havre from Paris to see England and Norway. Um, yeah, very interesting game, and obviously off the back of uh, Norway's defeat of Australia, it will be interesting to see how they ply their trade against the Poms and whether the Poms can can uh, get through to the next round. I think that's actually a very even even uh, match, that one. It'll be really interesting. Hey, Edge, I want to go back to that Norway game and uh, look in the immediate analysis you sent us on our chatter, a message, no shame in that loss. Um, look, it was sad in some aspects because... Uh, you know, um, the, the you know the the penalty shootout always you know takes the the, the spotlight of a, of a loss like that. But um, Norway were a clinical side against a lot of other sides, um, even at, uh, not at our best. The Matildas um, would probably have done enough to get through. Um, um, just tell us about the feeling in the stadium and the, and the general vibe uh, around the. Um, the touring party, uh, both uh, y- y- the tourists and the, and, the, and, the, and the squad themselves, are after the game. Obviously, a huge disappointment um, to you know to live through the the journey of the team in the competition. Obviously, we'd had our defensive errors or defensive failings that uh, haunted us through the tournament uh, and the lead up to the, uh, to the to the game. They didn't really go away against against Norway, and we got caught uh, uh, by their number nine who took a very good goal uh, early on. We couldn't take our chances early in the game. Harry Rasso had a great chance, and so did Sam. You've probably dissected it 
in great detail with the guests today. The, the sense was great disappointment and, uh, and probably uh, of an opportunity lost. A lot of discussion about uh, copying the goal against Italy in the first game in the 95th minute, uh, mm-hmm. which, which effectively cost us top spot in the group, and we would have played um, a lesser quality opponent in China. We went to the Italy and China game, and that just reinforced in Montpellier a few days ago, and that just reinforced uh, the lost opportunity uh, amongst our travelling group because we all looked at that game and the standard of that game and thought that the Matildas would have comfortably dispatched of Italy and China uh, at that at that sort of uh, fixture. So, yeah, it, it is one sense of disappointment and an opportunity lost. Uh, however, you can take nothing away from Norway. Um, I thought they were physically very well prepared. They tactically... Uh, defended from their six-yard box very well and got us on the break a few times and were able to to score that very important goal which uh, uh, gave them opportunity a penalty shootout. We never looked like it. Uh, we were fatigued. I think Norway, uh, I don't know how much it's been covered, but Norway having three extra full days rest before our game I think had a big factor on the, on the result, especially when it went into extra time and we could argue the toss about missed penalties and red cards and all that sort of stuff. But those things happen in football and... Uh, we're on the uh, we're on the losers' side this time. Great disappointment because I think the team had talent enough to go further in the event. What's been made? A uh, couple of things, Edge. Uh, what's been made of Sam's? Because it was an interesting strike. I mean, it, it surprised me when I saw it. Um, but I mean, we've all missed it something, so I'm, I'm not going to you know lay any blame on anyone's uh, lap. It's uh, it was, but I think she was going for power and to try and drill it, but it just absolutely flew. And and the other part is. Uh, Joey's talked about, you know, maybe, you know, not forget the preparation and all what's happened going into the World Cup, but moving forward, what does it look like, you know, like with our with our A-League uh, women's programme playing so many little games during the year, uh, does that need a, a, a major overhaul? Because you're, you're more gif- gifted and ge- geared in this area with women's football. What's your thoughts? Oh, look, I think there's two really standout issues for, uh, for the Australian national team set up. One is the W League is only a very short season. Yeah. Um, we've come up against European nations in particular who play uh, you know, long seasons. Um, they're the Italians for example, although they're coming from, you know, some people say from a development perspective behind the Matildas, but they've got a, a full time semi professional league now. There's sort of seven or eight players in each of the clubs that are fully professional. We've got to get to that level and uh, we're playing a twelve round plus final season in the W League. That really needs to be a full home and away round. It needs to fit nicely with the American calendar so our girls are getting six or eight months of solid football every year. Um, because our problem, um, which was became very evident to me, was that you know we have 30 or maybe 35 quality footballers to choose from. The European nations have three or 400 players to choose from. So uh, that level of competition, and, and obviously the, I think there's a great question mark over the development pathways for you know the girls that are 20 to, to 40, uh, that, that bracket. We talked, we talked about that, that previously on Box to Box, but it's just really the, the NPL structure in Australia doesn't provide them with, with a significant enough uh, development opportunity. They have to go overseas. Yeah, so there's a lot of questions in that yeah, elite yeah. pathway structure, uh, and also I, I think uh, I might this might be a little controversial statement, and, and I think I'm closer to uh, this than a lot of uh, the analysts back in Australia is that uh, I don't think we were physically prepared well enough. Uh, it was pretty clear to me that uh, 
um, fatigue and also injuries uh, took a big toll on the camp and um, and uh, we uh, you know we had sort of some some key players uh, playing too many minutes and uh, that cost us in the Norway game. Um, Van Engwand, Keller Knight's body was was pretty brittle. Um, she was only able to come up sort of once every seven or eight days. So yeah, there was some of those aspects. I think the strength and conditioning um, component of how the Matildas are managed between their clubs when they're not with their clubs, uh, especially the Australian girls who don't have international clubs, only play W League and NPL, uh, they, are, they are miles away from uh, a standard that's probably world-class. So I think that needs to be carefully looked at, and all of that takes resources. I think there's so many learnings out of this, uh, this program, but what we can't be critical of is the way that the, the, the players as a whole approached everything. They gave it everything. Um, we had some misfortune, um, you know, interrupted build-up with all that was going on, but I don't think any of those things can be used excuses in the game against Norway. Had we taken our chances, we probably would have won. Hi, Michael. It's Willem. I just wanted to bring it back to the penalty shootout, if possible. Um, with your insider information, do you know how much work had been done for a possible shootout situation? I know it can be hard to practice and can be hard to replicate that pressure, but Norway looked very well drilled and were clinical, whereas the Matildas looked like they were a little bit lost uh, in the penalty shootout. My understanding is that they were practicing penalties at every training session, yep. so way back from Turkey in the pre-season camp. Uh, Samantha, if you remember the penalty that she scored on the rebound from against Italy, that wasn't a good penalty. It was, a, it was initially saved. She actually scrambled it in off the off the uh, rebound, if you if you can recall. Yep. So, yep. Um, we, I must admit, I wasn't confident uh, in in Samantha taking that first penalty. Um, uh, Emily hit one sort of at uh, perfect height for the keeper to save, and the keeper got the right way. So, you know, we know those things. I mean, Dean will tell you, you really can't, uh, you really can't practice for penalties in that environment where you've played 150 minutes or whatever it is, uh, extra time, and then you're fatigued and the pressure, the mental pressure, and, you know, they're very hard things to, to prepare for. But I agree with them. Norway, just being at the ground, even before they started to take the penalties, just the way that they were getting organised, it was very clear that, you know, we look like we would miss and they look like they weren't going to miss. I don't know why that seems to happen at some games, but that's the way it panned out. They never look like missing and we never look like scoring. Edge, I just wanted to talk a bit about uh, VAR and the impact that that's having continuously on the tournament. We saw again in this last round of matches in thinking in the Netherlands and Japan game how we had another penalty with a handball and the right decision by the letter of the law was given, but so many people thinking that there was a massive injustice. What do you think about the impact of VAR on this tournament and, and then just more broadly some of these rules which are being highlighted by it. Yeah, um, it's really interesting being in the, in the crowd, um, Derek, because you don't get the uh, the benefit of seeing, you know, or hearing the commentary on television or seeing uh, potential replays of incidents. So it it feels like an eternity. It really does change the momentum of the game, in particular the momentum of, um, of the crowd as well. So it's quite, a, um, it's quite an unsettling thing. I think... Um, Generally, the VR is very, very good. Uh, it gets it right most of the times. Japan were incredibly unlucky. Like you said, it was a letter of the law. It was probably right. But in the context of that game, extremely unlucky. Um, and you know, they were, in my view, the better team. They played beautiful football the entire night. Um, but it is what it is. I think there's one item that can be changed about VAR. You know, the, the way it works at the moment is that... Uh, the referee will get a message from the video assistant referee saying that you need to look at something. Um, I've seen uh, I've seen a potential fault. 
the referee then runs across to have a look at look at it, look at it on the screen, and then comes back and makes a decision. I think, um, based on how other sports manage it, it could it would be a lot better had as the VAR referee has the authority to overrule uh, the on-field referee in the case of a blatant error, um, and then it can then 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 the momentum of the game can be sort of maintained. So I think that's what we're missing at the moment. Um, there is a strong delay in the on-field referee going to verify the video assistant referee's advice and that's probably something that uh, FIFA could look at to tidy it up. I don't know what you guys think. I think that would make it a much quicker turnaround and uh, probably a more acceptable um, arrangement for uh, you know for the fans in the stadium and the, the viewing audiences back home. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a pretty reasonable approach but uh, one that um, seems a little far away though, doesn't it, Itch? Because um, the uh, Listening to uh, Pierre Luigi Colina, the um, yeah, uh, yeah, famous yeah, bald-headed Italian, yeah, yeah. He, he's absolutely sticking to his guns on all that sort of stuff. So um, it seems like a, a little while away. Hey, mate, Look, listen. But the, the referees handle it really well in terms of the on-field referees handle it really well. You, you probably don't see in the broadcasters that they're talking to the players all the time. Mm, they're explaining mm. to the players what's going on, what's being reviewed. Mm. If it's a handball's being reviewed, or it's a you know a, a a foul's being reviewed in the side of the penalty box. So they, they do a really great job of managing it all. And the other thing that's obviously frustrating for um, the Australian fans is uh, because other, other countries um, already have VAR, uh, unlike the Australian fans, um, uh, especially in the women's game where we, we don't have it, is that the, the, the offside calls where the flag's kept down until the end of the play mm. before the flag's raised has been really frustrating for fans. And you've probably experienced that on the broadcast as well. But the referees are actually managing that process to the letter of the law really well. They keep their flag down. They communicate that it's offside between each other. You can see the referees communicate. Um, and then, then obviously, they wait to the end of the play, whether a goal scored or not. doesn't really matter. Then they lift their flag. So that's a bit... Uh, for people like Dean and I, who grew up with... Um, with a you know when you defender looking across at the referee for the offside flag immediately, it can be unsettling for defenders because mm. they know the flag's not coming until the end of the play. Edge, um, now we've got to get some quick answers from you because this is the world's longest stoppage time. Um, uh, the uh, critical selections from the uh, mouth of Edgeley for this um, this quarterfinal stage, just just reel them off for us. Who are you picking? Uh, I'm actually picking Norway to defeat England. I think uh, Norway. Super impressive. Our game was a very high standard game compared to some of the other round of 16 games. I think Norway, uh, unfortunately, I think the, the host nation is going to come to a crashing halt. I don't know uh, that France has the capacity to withstand the American uh, full-on attack uh, and the press, so I'm picking the United States to roll France at Princess uh, Park in, uh, in Paris. Germany and Sweden, it's an interesting game. I really haven't seen a lot of uh, the Germans at this point in time. So I'm, I'm interested to... Uh, look, so I'm sort of picking that one off uh, what I've watched with Sweden. So, uh, But I think Germany will beat Sweden uh, just based on a reputation. And the fourth game, Rob, who did you pick in the fourth game? <coughs> well, I was uh, um, in consultation with... I'm going to this game. No, I'm tipping Italy. Um, and uh, Italy's my dark horse to go all the way, in fact. I think they're going to win the whole thing. I've changed my... Well, Italy lost three plays in the China game uh, yeah. to injury, so they've got no chance. Oh. Um, so that's why I wanted to ask first. It's in writing, though. It's in writing. It's, it's, it's in the scribe. It's got it in writing. It's in yeah. writing, so, so we uh, can't swing. Netherlands will crush Italy. Okay, good on you, Edge. Edge is coming off the long run. The, the Oracle. 
<laughs> Oracle Edgeley. All right, Mike, enjoy the next week or so. Uh, we will talk to you as Nigel fades in the end. Can I tell you what I'm doing tonight? We, mate, we've I been going for about tonight? half an hour already. Just say it in 10 seconds. No, no, can I tell you what I'm doing tonight, just before you go? Go. I'm Come going on. to see, with my staff, I'm going to see Midnight Oil tonight. Oh. They are playing in Paris. How what? good will that be? Get that in will there. be fair awesome. <laughs> you as fast as give the nah. Give the nah. <laughs> oh, uh, they probably will. Back for your country. <laughs> I'll well, tell you, you what, I hope, they, I hope they sound a bit better than that. Oh, mate, I thought oh, that was not. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Edge. Farewell, Arrivederci. It's not Arrivederci, it's Bon Au revoir. Au revoir, Robert. That's it. Au Here au we revoir. go. Here we go. I'm having a forget free day day too. A forget free day. You can say your Peter, say your Paul. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, what an episode that is as Nigel winds up the midnight oil. At the end of another great episode of Box to Box. And we want you to join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the Welcome.